Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 123, Advanced Holding Patterns with Chris Pazala, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, welcome, everybody. Here's another exciting episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We have a really special guest, or an actual an interview that I did prior to this episode. But joining me this evening are our co-hosts, Larry Overstreet. Larry, welcome. Hello. And uh, Eric Crump. Eric, welcome. What's happening? And Rick Felty. Rick, welcome. Hello. And uh, Tom Frick. Hi, hi. And Victoria Newell, welcome back, Victoria. Last but not least. No, last but not least is is for sure. Let's do the pre-flight. Uh, we don't have many announcements this evening, other other than the fact that Oshkosh, or I should say Air Adventure, is coming up. Uh, it's going to be on the uh, 20, oh, 25th of July, right, to 25th of July to 31st of July. And if you go to the EAA.org site or airventure.com site or airventure.org, they have all those, uh, you can find out more information. I know that there's going to be a couple people from the Stuck Mike Avcast showing up there. I'm going to try to make it for one day. Unfortunately, I have to make a living, and that's our busiest time of year. And uh, I'll be flying most of that week, but I'm going to try to pop in for a day or two. I know, uh, Larry, you're going, right? I will be up there starting the 13th. At Camp Bacon? Yes, at Camp Bacon. Stop by and see us if you're in the area. Awesome. And also, Tom Frick, you will be there? I will be there as well. I'll be there up there starting the 25th through the uh, 31st. And I know, Victoria, you were talking about hoping to go, but I don't think you're going to make it, are you, this year? Yeah, I just had to back out at the last minute because a coworker is having twins around that time. So I will be in the office oh, taking man. one for the team. Darn, darn, darn. I don't understand how twins are more important than air venture. They never are. I just <laughs> such a giving. Especially person. someone else's twins. I know. Actually, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this episode. I'm getting <laughs> backhanded for that. But just too nice. <laughs> and Eric, I don't think you're going to make it this year, are you? You're no, I wish. Guy. No, we're in. This is busy season. Yeah. Uh, crazy time. I. I, I work, we get so busy, I forget my own name this time of year. So <laughs> probably wouldn't want me showing up at Oshkosh. I'd get lost, and mm. somebody pat me on the head and have to send me home in a, in a box. Wow. But uh, no, I wish I could go. I, I, it's it's actually one of those bucket list things. I've never made it. I've intended to go for a, a decade and a half, and I, I never. There's always some reason why I can't go. So one of these days, I will make it to Air Venture. Me too. I'm saying you the just got to go. Yeah. <laughs> And I know, Rick, you're not going to make it, are you, this year? Not this year, but no. but I do think that um, things are starting to line up for next year. Cool. With my son, would be very cool to bring him. Awesome, awesome. I've been, I've been once, and uh, it'd be fun to yeah. have him along for the ride to check stuff out. Well, we can't wait. We're going to be doing interviews there. If you see somebody a Stuck Mike Avcast t-shirt, then pull them aside. If you just see any of us, uh, you know our pictures, look at the uh, the co-hosts on, on stuckmikeavcast.com. Grab us, say hi, you know, and, uh, 
you know, tell us what you think about the the podcast. If it's bad, uh, you know, my name's Larry Overstreet. Otherwise, if it's good. <laughs> 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 it's good. But uh, no, seriously though, it's it's been so much fun talking to everybody about uh, Air Venture because it's all the buzz now online, and uh, I, I'm just I'm so excited. I really hope I make it there this year. I'm trying to make it there for one day. I'm trying actually. I'm trying to convince my company to let me have it off. And they're they're like not only no but uh, heck no, uh, but that, who knows? Maybe I could change change that uh, because that's our again it's our busy season. But uh, anyway, on with the show. We have a really special guest uh, that I actually had an interview with, and his name is Chris Pazala. Chris Pazala is uh, he actually really interesting fellow, and you'll hear about it in the interview. But just to preface this, it, we're going to talk a little bit about a video that we started and uh, doing one day and said, hey, let's make this something we can put online. We're going to talk about that and also his restoration project. But before we get going on that, there is one thing I want to say. Uh, there's actually somebody we lost, uh, uh, and it was a terrific, you know, I, I like to coach, I do career coaching. I also help coach the flight team. It's somebody that has truly inspired me uh, to, to coach and also has inspired me uh, in life in general and has inspired so many young ladies out there to actually reach for their their dreams and pursue their goals in life. It was a lady that I, I actually had the pleasure of flying with uh, many years ago, not many years, about eight years ago. I flew from uh, actually in Tennessee up to New York and uh, today we lost her as uh, a great coach, a, a person that is uh, who's truly inspired me when I first met her, and uh, she was incredibly humble. And honestly, I didn't know who she was. And I said, "Hey, you coming along with us?" She says, "Sure, I sure am." And uh, someone said to me, "Hey, do you like basketball?" And I said, "No, I don't like basketball." Well, you might want to talk to that lady about basketball and coaching because she knows a few things. Well, we lost Pat Summit today, and Pat, you know, it was it, it really. I wish she was here today. I could tell her it was just a true pleasure. She was such a pleasure to fly. And uh, incredibly humble individual, uh, didn't didn't <laughs> it took it in stride the fact that I had no idea who she was, and uh, I said hi, I'm flying you to uh, to New York City, and uh, I was like, you know, wow, this is somebody after I did a lot of research on her who truly truly has inspired so many people, has won, and was the winningest coach out there in uh, in basketball, just a phenomenal individual, and has inspired so many women to move forward. Uh, with their careers and so many people in general. So my hat's off to Pat Summit. It truly was a pleasure flying her and, and being able to say hi and have a very short conversation with somebody who, who, is, who is a giant uh, but was incredibly humble, and uh, we all can learn from that. So hats off to her and, and the incredible things that she's done in her life and, and the things she's people she's inspired. She's truly inspired me uh, as far as coaching is concerned, and I do constantly look at what she's done and read what she's done. Now entering cruise flight. Moving on, uh, we uh, we all have this interview coming up, and we're going to ask our producer, uh, Rick, if you could go ahead and roll the interview, and we'll talk about it right afterwards. So go ahead and roll the interview, Rick. This is Carl Valeri from the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm here reporting from Florida, actually, my uh, hometown of Treasure Island. I'm speaking with somebody in person that uh, has been to a lot of different air shows that we've met on the road, and we've also done quite a few things with in the past, but he's never been 
on the Stuck Mike Avcast, and that's Chris Pazala. Chris Pazala is the author of The Advanced Guide to Holding Patterns and has an incredible resource for people who are interested in learning how to do holding patterns in a video we're going to talk about later. But first, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carl. You know, interesting thing, we, we talk about a lot of IFR on this show, and I, I tell you, if you're the listener right now, you're about to go down the path of holding patterns. If you are somebody that's not doing your instrument rating or is thinking about doing your instrument rating, uh, this is a good show for you because then you can understand what holding patterns are and some little details and some really interesting technical uh, aspects. If you're somebody that's an instrument flyer, then this one's for you. This podcast is for you. And also, we're going to have a lot of different resources we can point you towards. But Chris is, is an interesting person. I, I know we haven't uh, introduced him here on this podcast. He's been on Aviation Careers podcast before because of his career and really interesting career. Started off in aviation at a very young age, worked his way through the airlines, and is now uh, pursuing a career in both aviation law and also has a, is, has a master's, an MBA, and uh, is author of a book and does many different seminars. So, Chris, you, you know, you, you seem like a very busy individual. Let's, let's start with the beginning. How did you get involved with aviation? I mean, you're obviously passionate about it. Uh, well, I am, actually. Uh, my parents love to travel, and I grew up traveling with them. So uh, one of the things I would uh, do, of course, is go to the airport and stare out the window. And um, I think my parents were trying to distract me, uh, you know, being a small child traveling. So they really wanted me near the window to see the airplanes. Uh, that would come back to bite them later when I said, I want flying lessons. Uh, but I really fell in love uh, with airplanes from a technical perspective and also just the joy of being able to travel. Well, interesting. The the one thing that I, I think we all look towards in aviation is why we get into it. I actually I got into it thinking, gosh, it's incredible. I could feel like a bird. Uh, you're into the travel. One of the things that evolved in my life is the fact that now I, I do it because I love to travel and I get to fly planes at the same time because I do it for a living at the airlines. Unfortunately, I don't get to do the, all the low-level flying in GA. But uh, although you are an airline pilot, you've been away from it for a while. Uh, and you're actually getting back to airlines soon because you had gone through a downturn with the airline you were with. But you fly small airplanes. Tell us a little bit about your flying currently in aviation. I think you had a recent project that took you a little time to, to finish up. It's a restoration project of an airplane. So let's talk a little bit about that restoration. What, what was it that you did with this airplane? Uh, well, Carl, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I was looking for a project, something to do with my free time. And I said, um, you know, why don't I rebuild an airplane? And this was when the economy wasn't doing so well. So there were a lot of great projects available. And so um, I went through and I found one on the Internet, which was located all the way out in Arizona. And I said, all right, well, no problem. We can get this onto a truck and bring this back. And it was a 1961 Piper Cherokee. Oh, cool. I actually flew one of those a long time ago. Is that the one with the crank on the top? Is that what it is? It's the crank. Um, actually, uh, we didn't realize this at the time, but it was a first-year run. Oh, cool. As, as a matter of fact, for those not don't know, there used to be the crank for the, the trim that was actually on the ceiling, and you would crank it. And... Uh, it is, actually. It's the overheads so you rotate. And there's, there's a great old episode of, I think, I Love Lucy or one of the Lucille Ball shows where she's in a plane, and she turns that and knocks the pilot out. <laughs> so, note to self... Make sure your elbows aren't in the way and knocking the pilot out next to you. You should be touching the pitch trim anyway if you're a passenger, right? Right. I think she thought she was opening the window, but it, it made for a great scene and an excuse to have her land a bonanza. <laughs> so, of course, if you have spare time, you know, what does anybody else do but pick up an airplane and restore it? So you took this aircraft and you put it into a trailer and you 
show, you delivered it to Florida, I think it was. Uh, we did. Well, that's the humus part. Um, I didn't have a trailer, so I rented a 26-foot moving truck. It's the largest one you can get without a commercial driver's license. And I showed up, and I said, you won't believe this, but I'm renting this to move an airplane. And the guy at the store goes, oh, yeah, that happens every week. Oh, you're kidding. No, apparently there's so many planes in storage in Arizona that people constantly buy projects there because it's dry. These planes are well-preserved. And they rent these giant moving trucks to get them in and out of uh, Arizona. That is too cool. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we get this all the time. Just pick up a, a moving truck and pick up your airplane and go. Only in Arizona, right? In a, in a dry climate. That's fascinating. So you, you took this aircraft and you moved it to Florida and you decided to restore that. Now, you, talking about the restoration, I know in, before we've talked about historic restorations of aircraft, etc. It doesn't seem like it would be that tough to restore uh, something that's been in production for so long. I'm sure there were some challenges you're going to tell us about, though. Uh, certainly. Well, uh, when we picked up the aircraft, it was the airframe was mostly assembled, but all the parts, all the accessories, the wiring, everything was on the floor, just scattered across a hangar. And so uh, myself and a mechanic and a few other people boxed this all up. It took about six hours to get the wings off and get everything in boxes and then finally get this into the back of a truck. Uh, when we arrived in Florida, we discovered something. We didn't have all the parts to this airplane, but we had parts to a lot of other airplanes. Uh, that's an issue. You thought you bought one airplane, but you didn't, did you? Not exactly. I had uh, three vertical stabilizers, uh, two sets of flaps, two sets of ailerons, and a tachometer to what I can only guess was a DC-3. Oh, boy. Well, I hope you hung on to that. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, actually, I sold that to a collector. Uh, uh-huh. Somebody's going to enjoy that. Interesting. You know, and we talked about someone who does aircraft salvage. We've had her on before on the show. And it's interesting what people do with all these parts and the things that they could you can put them in your house. Uh, it, there's very different, you know, very creative ways that you can store things in them. You can also make them decorations, et cetera, and make them into furniture even. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I've still got two vertical stabilizers. I'm thinking about putting a board across and just making it into a table or a shelf. Oh, awesome. That sounds like a lot. Only, only an airplane geek would do such a thing. So now that you have the parts, do you have most of the parts, I'm hoping, to this airplane? Or how did you find out if you had all the parts? Well, actually, we just sort of found out as we went along what we didn't have. Um, I actually hired a mechanic. I didn't do all the work myself. I, I had a mechanic who knows what he's doing do most of the work. And, and so as we go along, we'd find out parts were missing or parts didn't work uh, or some things were broken. And so we started looking around. And unfortunately, the first two years are very similar. But after that, they made a lot of changes. So it became harder to find parts for these early models. And so we did end up going to some later models in a few places. Interesting. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, where do you start? Was it with the, the, the data sheet? I mean, how do you start figuring out what parts you need and, and making this aircraft airworthy? Uh, well, we had multiple functions going. So we had uh, a couple of people working on these boxes of parts, just cleaning and sanding and painting. Even if we didn't know if there were parts, just go ahead and get them cleaned up. And then we had the, fortunately, we did get the manual, the maintenance manual. And so we had the part numbers, and we could go through and match up the parts uh, or find the later model that was a permissible exchange. So if you are going to try to make this airworthy, you can go out there and purchase these parts online, I'm assuming? How do you do that? Uh, We used a a very well-known aircraft uh, parts company, and actually we would call them on the phone and say we need a part, and we'd give them a serial number. And they would find it somewhere in the country. They would have to scour the whole country and actually, a lot of the parts ended up coming from Canada. Interesting. Yeah, they'd sold a lot of these early models to uh, 
customers in Canada, and they'd ended up in these Canadian aircraft uh, junkyards. So if people are following along and want to know exactly the designation, this is a Piper PA. Uh, it's a PA-28, and the uh, actually the serial number is 12. It's 2812. Oh, cool. So it's the 12th one ever built, which is part of the humor because we, we got serial number 12 fuselage, and we have wing number 7. Wing number 7. Wait a minute. Yeah, they had <laughs> apparently they had actually numbered these um, parts in the shop as they were assembling it. And some of those numbers had been concealed under paint or under other parts when it was assembled. So when we pulled the wings off, there were numbers on the wings and number on the fuselage. Something they had used to organize when they were obviously building, you know, multiple of these at one time. Wow. You know, this this is one of those aircraft that's been in production for so long. And there's so many people listening right now that got their private, their instrument. I got my private in that aircraft. I just absolutely loved it. It was uh, it was a little underpowered, I, I felt. I'm a little heavier, so that's probably why. And I had a heavier guy that came in there to do my, my, my DP and do my private check ride. And it was, it was a little difficult getting off the ground, especially with my brother in the airplane. But it has qu- it's evolved quite a bit over the years. And uh, it was actually introduced, what, in, in January of 1960. So this has been a, a long, long run. Do you know the actual date, the production date on, on your model? Uh, I know it's 61. I don't know where in where 1961. 61. But that, that's pretty cool. Now, as, and, and we wanted to talk about holding powers, but this is absolutely you know, phenomenal. I had forgotten you had actually restored this aircraft. So you, you go through the process of restoring it. And my question is going to be, in a few minutes, it, was it worth it, first of all? And, and if somebody else is thinking of doing this, would you recommend it to them? Does it save you money, or is it just an educational experience? Uh, it's going to be more the latter. <laughs> um, I started this project, and I said the budget's going to be X, and, and the mechanic and I agreed this will take about six months to a year. Seven years and three times over budget later, oh we're starting to realize that wasn't true. And I, I, the bottom line is that the value of your time and the value of a mechanic's time is really too high to make it into a profitable business venture. So you're not going to flip it like you could maybe a house or some other asset. That being said, it was a chance to get an aircraft that I really love that has all the features I wanted, the colors, the fabric. I know everything down to what's under the wings and you know, even what's inside the wings. So if you want an aircraft that's refurbished and still a pretty reasonable price and know every inch of it, this is a good way to do it. So you have to want to do it for yourself. And it's it's pretty cool to have that. You, you, it's basically the birth of an airplane almost. You're the one that's it's bringing this thing back to life from, from being somewhere in the desert for so long. And there's a lot of satisfaction out of doing a restoration product project. You know, most of us are doing restoration projects, uh, you know, on military aircraft and get involved in museums, et cetera. It is really cool to get involved with something that is, is a production aircraft that people are still flying today and have some interest in. Are you going to take this to any of the shows? Have you done anything with it since, I, mean, I should ask? Uh, well, it just came out of the restoration a few months ago, so we're still in that testing phase and breaking in the engine, which was overhauled. Mm-hmm. So once that gets done, we'll be looking at uh, 2017, doing Sun and Fun, doing Oshkosh, some of those. Awesome. And hopefully you get some judges to get out there and take a look at it. So this is uh, actually not considered an antique yet, is it? It's uh, or is it a classic? I can't remember I think what it's category. Falling into the vintage category. Vintage, vintage. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fun said vintage. This year that's it. Right. And and so you can actually park it out there into the vintage. Yes. And actually, Sun and Fun offered to let me do that this year, and we just weren't quite ready with it. Some of the reliability wasn't there yet. Awesome. Maybe we'll see it at uh, Sun and Fun in Oshkosh too. 
uh, that's my hope, you know, is have it out in the 2017 season, get it out, and get it flying around the country. Oh, pretty cool. Now, if somebody is interested in learning more about restoring an aircraft or wants to talk to you about it, I know there's a lot of EEAA chatters out there. There's a lot of people that restore aircraft. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, there is a cool way they can find you, actually, uh, because you have this this website, 3-Point Aviation. It's the number 3pointaviation.com, and you can actually send uh, Chris an email. So if we're talking here and you get a question or you want to you know, send it to contact at stuckmikeavcast.com, we'll send it over uh, to Chris to discuss that. But I think it's a really cool project. I just want to know, when am I going flying in it? Uh, well, actually, I called you a couple of weeks ago when I was in town, and you weren't available. Yeah, <laughs> so, I was out. Uh, it's in Deland now, so uh, when you get over oh, to Deland, cool. we'll go fly. Yeah, gosh, yes. I, I can't wait to go up in the airplane. We'll take pictures, and I'll, I'll let you know how, how it goes there. But uh, I, I really absolutely love that airplane. It's docile. It's, it's very. I like the way it does its stalls, and all. I love teaching in it, and uh, it's a nice start aircraft. What engine did you put in it? Uh, we upgraded it. So it came with 160 horse, mm-hmm. and that one was a bit run out. So I went ahead and moved it up to 100. 180 horse. That's the Lycoming 0360. And interestingly, this engine came off of a Mooney. It came off of an early model Mooney, which had a constant speed prop, and so we capped off the oil shaft and then just put on a fixed pitch prop. Interesting. Gosh, yeah. So that 180 horse will help us both get off the ground. It really did. The first time I flew it, I was by myself, and I was just amazed at sea level by the power that this thing had. Yeah. 20 extra horse really does it, doesn't it? It really does. It's because yeah. it, it's because it's all above and uh, beyond what's required to stay in level flight. You're above that required drag. So it's sort of like a business getting extra revenue with no extra cost. That's awesome. I can't wait to fly it. But uh, And it, it, you have some pictures, I think, on your website? Uh, yes. Some, they, yeah. they should be on there and also on the Facebook. Cool. So we'll take, take a look at that at 3pointaviation.com. Uh, in, interesting restoration project. But actually, we didn't, we didn't come to talk about your restoration of your aircraft, although it's really cool. And, uh, you know, that, that sounds like a blast. And I've been involved with other, you know, World War II airplanes and helping restoration on those, primarily a B-25. I'm interested in those. But, you know, production aircraft, that sounds like a lot of fun. You, you, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll do that someday. And if you're listening, it, it would be a cool thing to do. Um, I think you should fly the B-25. I don't think you want to restore it. No, no. No, I help in restoring it. I did a lot of cleaning of things. That's, I, I couldn't afford to do that. That's, <laughs> uh, that's actually something we had to do with this project. Was it, When it came out of the hangar, it was covered in dust because it had been sitting for so many years. And it took me about two days to actually just clean the outside of the plane and the wings so that we could go ahead and start stripping it for painting. Oh, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Well, Chris, uh, you, you've you've been through all the general aviation. You've been your flight instructor, uh, instrument instructor. Uh, you went to Embry-Riddle. You got your master's. You, you're finishing up your law degree. You finished your uh, law, law degree. Law degree's done working the, on the bar exam the right bar now. Exam. So, uh, so now that you're, you've had this time off from your airline job, you're going to be going back to that fairly shortly, I think. Uh, uh, that's my plan. It's uh, you know The company's doing a lot better now, and it's a real opportunity to go uh, it's still at the regional level, but to go fly uh, as a captain at the regional level would be really, really cool. Oh, neat, neat. So uh, we'll love to hear about how that goes. Uh, but your GA flying is still very important to you, and you do a lot of, I know for us in the Tampa FISDO uh, with the safety program, you've done quite a few different seminars, and one of them is about holding patterns. And that's what we want to talk about today. That's our, our topic is holding patterns. I know there's a lot of angst amongst us as general aviation pilots in that we don't really want to do a holding pattern if we're flying IFR. We get confused a lot of times or, or we see holding pattern and our, the hair on the back of our neck goes up. And you know as an airline pilot that it's just the opposite. 
you love holding patterns because there's a couple things it means to you. It means, number one, I have time to figure out whatever problem I have, etc. And number two, and the more important is... You're paid by the hour. You're paid by the hour or paid by the minute. And you know while you're holding, you're getting paid more money. So, so that's important to somebody who's in the airlines. But I think that, that what happens is this. It's not the hold itself that we have problems with. It's the entry to the hold. But before we get ahead of ourselves, first of all, what in the world is a holding pattern, and really, why do we need a holding pattern? Uh, very good question. Well, the, the function that most people are familiar with, and I think airline passengers especially, is the idea of delaying an aircraft. Uh, we're in flight. Obviously, we can't hover like a helicopter, so if we need to stop for some reason because there's traffic ahead, there's too many planes, or the airport's closed for some reason, uh, holding pattern is a way to, to obviously stay in motion and stay in one geographic area. And that way, we know where we need to be, and air traffic control is not worried about planes flying in each direction. Uh, the interesting thing for general aviation, though, is there are a lot more uses for... Um, Carl, can you think of some? Uh, for general aviation, is just waiting to get into an airport that's busy like, a, like an air show. We can. Well, have you done a GPS approach? You know, uh, I've actually done quite a few as a general aviation pilot. Amazingly enough, even, even though I'm a little ancient... Uh, but they just started doing the GPS approaches, and, and I did do quite a few holes. In the 182, though, I did. I, I did uh, the 182 I used to have, I did quite a few, and quite a few holding patterns with that. Yeah, exactly. And so you see with a lot of these new GPS approaches now, especially the, what they call the standalone GPS, the ones that are built uh, brand new, is that they have a holding pattern instead of a procedure turn. And so what they're doing there is they're using the uh, entry procedures for a holding pattern because they take up less space than a procedure turn. And because it's standardized. If, if every procedure turn was a holding pattern, you would only have to learn one set of procedures, not two. So it's actually going to make uh, the airspace system a lot more efficient as we start using holding patterns to do basically what is a course reversal. Right. You know, there's a lot of ways to get on, you know, maneuver for the approach. And that's what we're doing is maneuvering for the approach and in, in this course reversal using the holding pattern. I think it's it's a great opportunity to, to save space and time. It's also something that I think that we, as we've moved over to GPS, many of us aren't quite as nervous about it. Because remember when in the old days and people that don't have the moving maps and all, you have to visualize a lot about that actually trying to enter that hold and where you need to be in relationship to the, the hold and and it's kind of tough to do, but with a moving map, it just paints it for you, doesn't it? Uh, it really does. It's, it's such a change. Um, I learned to fly instruments actually in a Piper Cherokee, in a 160-horse uh, round dial. Uh, I could have had GPS. It's just uh, it cost a lot more money at that point in time, and I didn't want to spend the money. So I went out and learned to fly in these older-style aircraft, uh, just like I use for my private. And you do. You have to visualize the process. And the nice thing about moving maps even if it's not going to draw the hold for you, it's going to give you an opportunity to visualize and you should take advantage of that. Uh, anytime you have this in the aircraft, absolutely, you want to have that map up and be able to use it. And, and we're going to get to this in a little while. Even though things have progressed to the GPS and to the painting of the holds, we still can mess up the hold. And it's like garbage in, garbage out. You have to tell the computer what to do. You don't, don't go down that path of seeing it on the GPS and knowing, thinking that's correct. You need to verify that it's correct. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but going back to the, the holding patterns... And in the painting of the holding patterns, we as as private pilots have 
uh, learned how to do a little bit of instrument flying. And sometimes the instructor will say, hey, let me show you a holding pattern. And hopefully that, that gets you interested. If you're someone listening right now and you're thinking about getting into instrument flying, you're listening to us about holding patterns, ask your instructor to explain it to you. I mean, have some fun with it. Jump in the simulator. Maybe we'll give you some time in the sim and go out and fly that holding pattern. It is a challenge. It's one of the cool things, I think, about flying IFR. It's one of those challenges that I want to do the holding pattern and I want to do it correctly. I want to enter it correctly. And that's one thing that I like about IFR flying. Also, the other cool thing is when you break at it like 200 feet and you see a runway in front of you there's a lot of satisfaction that comes for that also a lot of satisfaction comes from flying a, a proper procedure and a holding pattern as a matter of fact if you really want to understand how to fly a holding pattern properly you also have a book the advanced guide to holding patterns uh, which if i really encourage we're going to have a link on the on the website uh, about how to get to that book but uh, at stuckmikeavcast.com we'll have a link in the right corner as far as the holding patterns is concerned but tell us a, a little bit more about this this gps holding and and move forward with that especially we're going to talk a little bit about another specific type of gps uh, that you know a few things about as far as holding right uh, well we've seen technology moving very quickly i learned to fly in the early thousands with a plane that still had the old flip card collins and you'd actually turn the knob and the, the um number the frequency would flip over and then i moved up from that uh one time i got to fly this uh piper archer i had two of the garmin 430s and an rmi a uh, radio magnetic indicator i gotta think about that for a second <laughs> uh you know nobody uses the full term but uh you know an rmi uh was really sort of this interesting device and um they didn't really have a very long run i think with with the general aviation before more advanced gps came out but at the time that was the greatest thing since sliced bread was just right. have two needles on a heading indicator and just let it go around so that eventually progressed into the garmin 1000 and to some of the comparable models i think avidyne has a very similar product as well and so that's really where we see the technology uh, becoming more advanced. And the you know the Gar- speaking of the Garmin one thousand, just to interrupt for a second. There's a lot of people out there that are listening right now that have flown a G one thousand, and uh, you know I got introduced to it and I really enjoyed it. It kind of reminds me a lot of what I fly at the airline with the Airbus and and all the technologies, and it seems like it actually has more. Uh, it has a bigger display. I wish I actually had that display in the plane that I fly at work. The G1000, though, has some very specifics about holding. And, well, let's go back. Every single GPS that you use, every system you you use, has many different specifics as far as holding is concerned. So you really need to get to know whatever you're using, no matter what system. But you've gone the extra mile here, and you decide that you want to start looking into the Garmin 1000 and how it actually presents a hold and how it determines the hold and how we actually are able to tell the computer what to do in the hold. So you've done a little bit of research there. You, you've looked into it more than the average bear, haven't you? Um, I have, actually. After I wrote the book, I realized there were a lot of specific questions that I had about how the Garmin 1000 works, uh, what kinds of things it does with holding patterns, as far as how does it draw the size, how does it uh, decide where exactly it's going to send the aircraft. And so I decided, okay, I need to figure this out. And I went down to Ember-Riddle, and I used one of their uh, computer-based simulators, and I started to get some idea of how this all worked. But it occurred to me, I'm going to need something a little more advanced. So I went to the head of the flight department, and I said, I need to use your simulator for an hour to do a research project. And he said, what is it on? I said, holding patterns. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) And he was probably right. But uh, he was very nice, actually. And he said, all right, we'll give you an hour. And they gave me a staff member and a simulator. 
and I took a camera and a notepad and a list of questions, and I went down there and I started working uh, through some of these questions. Well, interesting. So, and, and by the way, if you're listening right now and, and you want to see the research we're talking about and the write-up, it's, uh, it's called Understanding the G1000 Holding Pattern. We'll have a link off of this episode to that under 3-Point Aviation. It's a PDF file, and it, it's rather interesting as far as the different questions he asks, you know, how you determine the size of the holding pattern and, and that type of thing. So, so how does it do that? I mean, is it, do you want to briefly answer that? How Absolutely. It so I, I was wondering, you know, does it have a standard size? Does it look at ground speed? Does it look at airspeed? Uh, what it actually does is it looks at your ground speed, how fast you're moving over the ground, and then it looks at the wind information, because the G1000 has a wind vector, and it decides, uh, based on the speed, how big to make it, and then based on the wind, how to make adjustments for the wind in order to get the proper shape. And so it, it still follows the same procedure. It still does triple or double outbound correction as necessary. It just does it much more precisely. So you just used a term there, triple or double the outbound correction. Those are doing, You're making corrections for your holding pattern so you can get a specific hold, a specific leg length or time, I should say. So what do you mean by that when you said the triple the outbound and double the outbound? What does that refer to? Uh, that actually refers to the, the lateral cor- correction, which is the side-to-side wind correction. So once you've crossed over a holding fix and you're going to go in the outbound leg, which is to take you away from the holding fix, you're going to get pushed by the wind. And you want to correct not only for that wind, but you're also going to make some additional correction so that when you round the corner at the other end of the holding pattern you're already lined up with the fix. So this, uh, this Garmin 1000 will do that for you? It does. The Garmin 1000 doesn't change the way we hold. It just does what we as pilots would have done uh, with the existing technology. Interesting. So it'll, it'll paint that, and it'll place it in the, on the screen, and it's actually going to fly what's on the screen using the wind correction based on the winds it will. it's looking at. And, and it's actually a luxury that it prints it. Uh, I was flying a, a regional jet aircraft a few years ago, And we had um, one set of screens from one company and a GPS from another company. And the two didn't like each other. So I could plug in the hold, and I could actually build my own hold, which was great, but it couldn't draw it on the screen. So the aircraft, we we would enter the hold instructions, and the aircraft could fly the hold perfectly, but it couldn't draw it. So all we would see is an aircraft on screen just making a turn and kind of flying out into space. And we would have to sit there and go, well, is this where it's supposed to be? And so a lot of times we would set it up uh, with the GPS on one side of the cockpit and we'd use traditional navigation on the other side to follow along conventionally and make sure that the aircraft was actually going where it was supposed to go. Because otherwise we don't really know if it's doing what it's supposed to. Interesting. You know, uh, a thing that came up in my mind is how does it know to change that holding pattern size? In other words, if I place a hold at a point, and the winds suddenly shift when I get there. What is that? What's the Garmin 1000 do with that? Well, the Garmin 1000, uh, it knows what the wind is. And if anyone's wondering how it does that, it looks at your speed and direction and compares that to um, your, your ground track, which is which, where you're actually going over the ground and your ground speed. And it does this really fancy calculation. Uh, the old KLN units could do that, but you had to manually enter the information. So it would ask you for temperature and pressure and the name of your dog. And you both... <laughs> <laughs> and you put all this stuff in, and then, of course, it would be wrong anyways. But the G1000 does a really nice job of giving you an accurate wind, and it can use that information itself then to, to put the hold where it needs to. And it, it constantly updates. It updates about every 5 to 10 seconds. 
Interesting. So everybody should go out and buy a G1000 is what you're saying. By the way, he's, he doesn't, he's not a salesperson for G1000 and, and Garmin, although he should be because this is really fascinating. I was just looking at the report right now. Uh, but in, can, now, can you do a track and all with this with G1000 and then and the hold? Can you track inbound, then hold at a point? You know, how, can you do all those type of things? Well, the G1000 will let you enter from any direction. Okay. So you can even go direct to the fix or you can uh, track inbound. In real-world flying, especially with the airlines, uh, direct entries are more common than random probability would suggest because they're easy. And so air traffic control sets them up to be that way. So, okay, I understand that. But how does it figure out what to draw, though, the G1000? I mean, you're figuring it out, right? You would figure it out in your head. i got to draw a direct entry. How does the G1000 do it? Do you know how it does it? It does it based on your direction of travel. So it's, uh, it's not really looking at your heading, which is interesting because as a pilot, we would look at our heading. Right. It's going to look at your ground track. So depending on the wind, there are a few places where you as a pilot might make a decision that's different than the computer only by a few degrees. And in those situations, it's so close to the middle ground that you can make a choice. You can either follow G1000 or you can ignore it, manually fly your own entry, and it'll, it'll go ahead and catch up with you as you do that. Interesting. You know, that's something that's a real great tool for, for all of us that are doing holding patterns. Uh, but what if I decide I want to change, can, will allow me to change that holding pattern? Say you, you get a controller that says, okay, do 10-mile legs. Can you do that while you're in the hold? Not right now. Uh, with the technology we have right now where the database draws the hold on the G1000, it won't change it. But uh, two things worth pointing out. There are new versions coming from Garmin that will do this. Uh, I think the two or 3,000 is what they're working on. And the other thing is that they constantly update the G1000. Believe it or not, the G1000 today does things that the same G1000 could not do five years ago. When I left flight instructing, they had just come out with the G1000. And when I came back into flight instructing uh, a number of years later, the system was doing things that I'd never heard of. It had dead reckoning, and it had these DME features, because they'd figured out how to do all this stuff, and they'd updated the software. So we could see an update in the future where that might start to become an option. Well, that's cool. That's good to know that everything's moving forward with the G1000. These software updates are done, I'm assuming, by a mechanic when they uh, they go in to... They do, um, yes. You want to make sure a, a certified um, avionics shop is, is going ahead and doing that update. And they'll get the update from Garmin. Interesting. Oh, by the way, can we still do NDB holds? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the great thing about GPS, including the Garmin, is that you can do any kind of hold that you used to be able to do because you can pick that waypoint. You can pick a non-directional beacon, which is in the database, and it won't draw the hold for you, at least, at least not right now. But what you can do with it is you can go direct to... And then we use the OBS mode. Uh, of course, nobody remembers OBS mode, but it was the omni-bearing selector. And the OBS mode turns your GPS into a VOR. It makes it function just like a traditional VOR with an inbound course and a to-from flag. So you can go ahead and use that. And then you have to do a little bit of math sometimes, just depending on the hold. Uh, but the great thing about NDBs is that they give you the bearing to the station with an NDB hold. Well, that's the same as track two. So if it's a 360... Uh, bearing to the station, it's a 360 track to the station. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I just bring that up because I was driving by Peter O'Knight Airport where I did a lot of flying and I saw the antenna, the non-directional beacon, gone. I said, oh, that's it, no more NDB holding, but there is still some NDB uh, holding out there. There is. Uh, they're starting to phase it out in the United States, but we still see some places in the country where you have a locator outer marker that requires it. Uh, we see some airports that haven't had GPS uh, installed yet. And also, we see a lot of parts of the world where GPS isn't a thing yet, believe it or not. 
Right. They're not set up for it. And have you been to Trinidad recently? Uh, yes. And they still have that NDB hold. I yes, I think they do. We uh, actually there was a GPS in there too. If I'm thinking of the right place, I, I'm pretty sure. I got to so many different places in the Caribbean and all, but uh, actually, I think that the hole was in place and that you could actually use it in the GPS. Okay, that, that's pretty new. Cause I I'll look that. it up, though. I'm not, don't quote me on that one. I did that one about seven, eight years ago, and, and they had an actual NDB hold, and about seven airplanes arrived at once. It's a non-radar environment, and it was an actual instrument. Right. So we had seven of us stacked up on top of a non-directional beacon holding, traditionally, and then one by one the aircraft were moving down and then uh, flying the full ILS approach with the course reversal. I'll have to look it up in my JEPS, but I think I think we actually have done that hole quite a few times in the, with the the GPS. But it's interesting how every system's different. But you did all this research on the G one thousand, and uh, we're going to have to go into some other holding first. But th- there's if we can wrap up on the G one thousand, just a quick summary of this report, what we're going to see, and uh, and also what you feel will be the next thing in the future as far as as holding is concerned. If we're going to move forward with holding patterns changing. Or do you think they're going to remain where they are and the way we see them today? I think we're going to continue to see them very similar to the way they are today because the United States system really set the standard for the world. And you see the same thing in Australia and in other parts of the world as well. So it would be a lot to make a change to that. And I'm not sure we really need to. Uh, the system works great with both the old technology, which is still out there. Planes are still flying with older navigational equipment. And it also works with the new technology. And it's something that we're very familiar with. So I think we're going to be married to these entries and i know the flight students don't want to hear that but i think we're going to be kind of married to this for a little while you know but if you're if you think about it once you do a ton of holds it, it's really it's really rather easy to get in, into and remember when we started with the airlines even we were doing holds with our fingers and entering the holds and all but uh you know somebody who's listening right now though there is a resource that we have for you if you want to learn a little bit more about the basics of holding and have an introduction to that uh, we put together this video and it's actually from the seminars uh, that you do, and it's uh, the Advanced Holding Patterns video series. Uh, but if you want to listen to that first one about the introduction to these holding patterns, notice we didn't go into much as far as how to hold, that type of thing. It's out there on the video. Uh, video number one actually is for free, and they can see that out there. That's actually on, on one of our affiliate ne- uh, websites and also my blog, expertaviator.com. You can link to that expertaviator.com slash holding. It'll bring you to that holding patterns video. It's the first video. It's free. It's also, if you go to the YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash expertaviator, you will see that number one holding pattern. What are they going to see in that first video? Uh, the first video, we're going to talk about the basics, such as uh, what a holding fix is, how we make wind correction, really what the structure of a hold is going to look like, and then talk about some of the places that we might find it and some of the different uh, forms we might find it in. Interesting, interesting. So if you if you have you know YouTube, obviously go out there and, and you know, have an internet, go to YouTube and, and watch that. But we also have it on our website there, Expert Aviator, and a link. And what I'm going to do is in this episode, I'll put, that, I'll put the actual video at the bottom of it. So you don't have to go anywhere. You just click on that video and watch it. Uh, what that'll do is if you want to and you want to actually learn the rest of it, the rest of the course is really fascinating. A couple of things as far as it's a five-video series, right? And we have you know one, two, three, four, and five, and they want to turn this into a sales for the video, but I think it's really cool. The uh, number two is uh, on the series is navigation sources, where we talk about the different navigation sources and air traffic control instructions and, and VOR holding. We talk about VOR holding and uh, what you talked about, the OBS mode, et cetera. Uh, the number three part of that series, GPS holding and protected airspace, we learn a few things, and, and some things that you know we thought were true but really aren't. You know, the term 
uh, holding on the unprotected Hyatt side uh, is actually not a true no, not term, is it? And, and we'll, you'll learn why that is. Uh, there is no such thing as the unprotected side of a holding pattern. Uh, it's all protected. And also, uh, in the other, we talked a little bit about entry procedures. You know, the entry procedures we'll talk about in video number four, which is really important. And then uh, at, the, at the end of the video, there's some interesting examples that you've put together. Talk a little bit about disorientation and also some of the key points there. It's a great series. I really enjoyed putting it together. Uh, and if you... If you want to watch that video, obviously, you go to expertaviator.com slash holding, or we'll have it at the bottom of this episode. Uh, now, you put this book together, Advanced Guide to Holding Patterns, and then we put this video series here uh, on holding. What possessed you to get into holding patterns and get so so deep into this? I mean, this is, the, you know, basically you wrote the book on holding patterns. What, why did you do that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's sort of like one of those uh, commercials for cable where they say, you know, if you don't get cable, these things will happen to you. It was one of those. I, I moved into a new apartment, and I had no cable and no internet for about two weeks. And I was really bored. But <laughs> more than that, um, I had been flight instructing for about a year before that, and I really enjoyed instrument, uh, particularly holding patterns and instrument approaches. And I was really disappointed because I saw so many students learning the wrong way, and I realized their instructors were not necessarily teaching the right way, and I went to the instructors, and I said, what's going on? They said, well, we don't have any resources. We don't have any guidance on this. And I I realized there's a lot of things where either there was no guidance or it was so hard to understand what was in the aim that people just were ignoring it. So I thought, you know, rather than word of mouth and making stuff up, why don't I do some real research, figure out how we should be doing holding patterns, and then put that into a comprehensive resource. And it's a great resource. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, Advanced Guide to Holding Patterns, the book, and obviously also this video that we put together. It's it's nice to get someone with some experience and some experience both from the educational standpoint and also from the airline world and bring that together in this book and also in this video series. You know, As you know myself, I've been flying. I've flown over 10,000 hours in the system at, under instrument flight rules. Uh, so there's a few things I can glean from that flying and from the holding patterns there, and we talk about some of those in the in the video. And, of course, with all the different things you've done, it's, it's incredible, the, the varied experience that you bring to this video. And I think it's a great product. It's also not that expensive. It's less than an hour of flight instructing, and you'll get have a lot of great takeaways. And, by the way, uh, before we forget, if you're a listener here at Stuck Mike Avcast, you do get a discount. Uh, the discount code is SMAC10, S-M-A-C-1-0, and that's a 10% discount discount off the price and it's a $64 right now video I hate to say prices because they they usually change and all but uh, check it out on the website it's really cool uh, you know Chris it, this has been great having you on I, I hate to, to we, we could talk forever about holding patterns we could do another whole hour discussion on it but what I want to know from you you, you aircraft restorer author uh, advanced guide to holding patterns lecturer uh, safety programs uh, you've done all these different things you've finished your master's, you, you're getting into aviation law, I'm assuming, and that's what you're going to do with the law degree. Uh, what's, what's next for, for Chris Bazala? I mean, after all this, where, where do you go? Uh, well, actually, I'm working on a few more books. Um, I'm going to be looking at doing both some technical books and also some books uh, maybe for the general public to get interested in aviation. Cool. Um, and also, I'm going to need a vacation after all this. Yeah, I would think so, especially uh, studying for that bar exam. And that's, that's a pretty difficult one to, to take. I mean, it's a little different than your instrument rating, isn't it? Uh, it really is. It's 8 to 10 hours a day of study. It's uh, multiple choice for the most part, but it's going to be four possible answers, and they get very detailed. So it's, it's a bit of effort to uh, figure out exactly what they're going to want for the exam. 
Yeah, and I complain about my ATP written exam. It's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was a lot easier. <laughs> that was a lot easier. That was my least favorite exam, actually, out of all the aviation things I've done. Well, if you want to do it again, you could do your dispatcher. That's true. That is true. Good point. I should get on that, actually. It's a great – and maybe we have a, a whole episode about that. Well, Chris, we really appreciate your, your coming here and speaking with us today. I know we've run a little bit long, but this information is great that you've given us. If you're interested in learning more about the holding patterns, of course, he has the book about it, The Advanced Guide to Holding Patterns. We have a link from the website uh, right there. We also, at Stuck Mike Avcast, also we have the video series we just came out with, announcing it today on this podcast that we have the new video series, and it's Advanced Holding Patterns. It's based on some of the information from the book. You and I put it together. It's uh, it's really based on the seminar. It's really a seminar that's been converted to video, and uh, it's it's something that's very helpful. And I know everybody that's watched it, they've always gleaned something from it. They've learned something. I think so. The video really hits on sort of the high points of the from the book, because the book's going to go from ground floor all the way up with every nuance and every detail, whereas uh, the seminar and the, and the online version, that's going to uh, take you through really the high points. And it's a great refresher uh, for folks that have already been flying, but they're just looking for more knowledge or maybe getting back into instrument after a few years. You know, a lot of us in aviation get into it because of the challenge. We get into it because we love flying. We love seeing things in the world. And, and obviously, you're one that, that's looking at aviation as a challenge, and you keep moving forward with it. Uh, and, like, and that's why I ask you, what's next? We, sometimes we go out and we get our instrument rating. And we say to ourselves, you know, what what do we do now? I mean, basically, it's like the masters, you know, in aviation. So if someone's listening right now and they say, hey, you know, I got my instrument. What do I need? What do I do now? I always recommend them trying something else like you're doing, you know, get your tailwheel endorsement or something like that. I mean, what would you recommend to somebody who asked that question? Uh, tailwheel is a great one because there's no check ride. So it's just a chance to go up and fly with an instructor and learn in a, an environment that's no pressure. So complex, high performance tailwheel, they will all make you a better pilot. Uh, the biggest cause of accidents we see today is loss of control. And, and sadly, we've seen a few just in the last few weeks in the United States uh, from just stick and rudder skills, which we seem to be losing. And when you do something like tailwheel or even gliders, uh, you're actually going to become a better pilot as far as flying the aircraft. And that's going to reduce the number of accidents we see. So, And, yeah, and energy management. I mean, that's incredibly important. And uh, one way to learn that flying is through getting your glider rating, isn't it, in the soaring. You actually do that too, don't you? You do. Uh, gliders are all about energy management. And when you fly a glider or fly a tail dragger, you learn skills that you're going to transfer back into other aircraft. Because when you fly a Cessna, you can't feel the rudder well enough to know really how to use it. When you fly the glider or the tailwheel, you learn about rudder. And when you go back to the Cessna, you go, oh, I see how this actually really influences the flight now. Years ago, I was flying a large turboprop for an airline. And the captain, who had never met me before, first time flying with me, we're on the approach to land, and he looks over me and goes, you fly tailwheel, don't you? And I said, how do you know? And he goes, because you know how to use the rudder. Right. I thought, wow, that's, you know, it's a skill that would have been hard to learn in that aircraft, but because I'd had a chance to fly a different aircraft, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Awesome. Well, Chris Pazala, Three Point Aviation, uh, if you get a chance, check out his book, Advanced Guide to, to Holding Patterns, and also check out the new video series that we put out. It's about advanced holding patterns. You'll learn something. I, I know everybody does that watches it. I know I do. I review it every so often. Uh, go out there and watch the first one. It's free. And uh, I think just that alone will help you learn a few things. If you're interested in getting into instrument flying, it's a great way to start. And also look at three-point aviation. Look at some of the pictures from his restoration 
project that he worked on and also some of the other books and, and webinars that he's worked with. And also looking for anybody who's uh, needing some expert advice, you can find it right there at uh, Three Point Aviation. Well, Chris, thanks so much for, for coming on the Stuck Mike Avcast. And uh, I'd love to hear from the, the listeners here about what they think about the first video we did. Uh, at least take a look at it. And, of course, if you want to purchase it, it's SMAC10, S-M-A-C-1-0, uh, for a 10% discount on that. But let's, I'd love to get your feedback. And we're looking at doing more of these videos in the future. So your feedback is really appreciated. If you could do that, it would be wonderful. We'd like to know what we can do different, what we can do better, and what you'd like to see as far as uh, webinars, seminars like this, and additional videos in the future. Well, this is Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Avcast here with uh, Chris Pazala. I'm reporting from Florida and sunny Florida about holding patterns, advanced guide to holding patterns, and also advanced holding patterns, the video. Go check it out at thestuckmikeavcast.com. Really appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. Okay, we're back, and uh, actually, that was so much fun putting that interview together uh, with Chris Bazala. I know, uh, I know, Tom, you've actually uh, had the chance of actually meeting him in person, actually quite a few times, haven't you? Yes, and, and got to see that seminar live uh, with his holding patterns and have talked to him about his book. And, uh, yeah, um, you introduced us, which I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And uh, Chris and I actually get to fly together every now and then. And I believe as we record this, I'm supposed to fly with him tomorrow night and uh, get him uh, some night currency back. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And I know Eric has actually been to his seminars, too. Yeah, I've and... been to the live seminar. Got to meet him several times. Actually, I believe you introduced us also, Carl. Yes. Um, at, a, at a Sun and Fun one year. but. Yes. Uh, Chris is really active in our local safety team, and every time I go to a safety seminar, whether he's um, involved in it or not, he's always there. Um, and so he really believes in the FA safety team concept and you know the continual attitude of learning that we never really stop if we're really dedicated to being safe as pilots. We always want to keep uh, learning and improving ourselves, and, and I respect that about him. Yeah, and, I, and you know the the thing that I like about <laughs> about Chris, we, we both actually get into some really geeky arguments over our holding and over uh, you know air traffic control procedures and that type of thing. And it's it's so much fun to have those conversations because uh, he is he is somebody who's really sharp, uh, as you can tell from from the interview. This is somebody that that is you know he's somebody that that you can't hold down. He takes time off, and what does he do? He gets his master's, and then he gets uh, his law degree. So I think that's that's pretty phenomenal. You know, I was wondering if, if from this interview, I know that he, he does all these things. He's held, he's restored an aircraft, et cetera. And I think, Tom, have you have you actually flown in the aircraft, or will you be flying in that? Uh, I've been uh, – three times I've been already uh, invited to fly in that aircraft, and I've had to put them away for the Ws. Uh. Work, work, weather, wife. There's all these different reasons that pop up why I couldn't go fly with him, but uh, I'm looking forward to that a whole bunch. I've got to see the aircraft. Uh, I saw it when it was uh, just finishing up, but it was in a hangar over in Daytona Beach. Um, he had since brought it over to the West Coast, and now it's back over on the East Coast again, getting a couple little uh, uh, minor um, adjustments to it. Well, cool, cool. He uh, truly is an interesting fellow. But you know, let's let's talk a little bit about that that restoration that he did. I think that's that's fascinating. I thought about bringing this aircraft across across the country and, and then putting it together. I know it was a bit of a challenge. I think he went uh, way over budget and time. I, I remember that. Uh, has anybody else here helped in a restoration uh, on a project on an aircraft? I'm not sure, other than myself. Uh, 
Larry, do you, you're actually building one, so you know. What I am. Like. I'm building one. Um, you know, that's a new, a new aircraft, a Sonics. In fact, uh, just before we recorded, I was down with my son Ryan working in the basement on it. Um, I've been around a lot of restorations, but I've never uh, had a lot of time working on them. You know, that was kind of cool, though, that you uh, mentioned that you were working on in your basement. I saw that on Facebook, and uh, I said to myself, you know, there's all sorts of people that can relate to that that are building aircraft. Uh, building, you know, you know, restoring an aircraft, I've helped out with B-25s. That's about the only thing I've helped in restorations of. And that is something that is incredibly difficult, and you have to go through all these challenges of getting parts, et cetera. It seems almost as if, you know... Chris had some of those same challenges that we had with the B twenty five and doing the restoration, and I think I think uh, you know it's hats off to him. I don't I don't think I would ever have taken on that such a project. Uh, and honestly, now listening to him, I don't think I ever will. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it all depends. Well, he was he was talking about how hard it was to get some of the parts on that that original aircraft, and um, if I remember correctly, the uh, the trim handle. Right. that's up on the ceiling that they were talking about um, <laughs> is actually a stock window um, crank off of an old Studebaker. And that was the part that Piper spec'd for it. I'll be darned. Wow. So that's you have to cool. chase down Studebakers, not just aircraft. Use what you have available. Use what <laughs> exactly. you have available. <laughs> but I'm sure it was TSO'd and cost, you know, at least $1,000. Yeah. All right. I was, I was lucky enough to fly one over in uh, London, England, and it um, they had motorized it. So you had a little button on the on the control wheel and it would spin up next to your head which was kind of odd uh, imagine if you had long hair oh my gosh that'd be kind of like what if Ooh, that could be dangerous head? yes it could but now that was a cool that's what i did my private pilot in and uh, i thought it was the coolest thing i i actually reached up and did the crank i felt like i was in one of those old float planes you know and that type of thing that's what i was imagining at least but uh, that was pretty cool stuff but let's talk you know the restoration was an amazing project we'll have pictures on the stuck mike avcast in this episode but one of the things I want to talk about is that video. I know that some of you have had a chance to review that video. And, uh, you know, Chris and I put that together uh, based on the seminar that, that Chris does. And uh, I was kind of wanting to get a little bit of feedback from you folks. I know that, uh, first of all, if you're listening, uh, there is, we talked about that, there's a coupon code. It's SMAC10, S-M-A-C-10. You get 10% off that video. It's uh, $64 for the total. The first one's free, so go check that out. It's a really good review. Uh, but it's actually, it's something that I think think is in my personal opinion is is a really good review but it also will will enlighten you as to many things in the IFR environment I know Larry you actually were able to go through uh, the whole video program so so what, what was your opinion of that program oh it was super helpful Carl um, it, you know it's it just isn't that often that I get a hold that I didn't request in the IFR system. Um, and so to remember how to do those and do things like, you know, I want to hold in place or, or whatever, um, it, it really was a good reminder. Um, other things that, you know, kind of had drifted off maybe in my thinking or whatever, you know, like the, the 2X or 3X correction on, on your outbound leg so that you can, you know, uh, uh, maintain the hold nicely um, was something that, again, it just I haven't thought about in a long time because I haven't done them, especially not with any consequences wind, um, it, you know, that I wasn't setting up in a simulator or whatever. But it was it was a good reminder because um, I like to jump into a sim every couple months with an instructor just to stay as sharp as I can and set up scenarios that I may not have had a chance to do in the airplane recently. And um, uh, that's a, a good, strong, you know, crosswind during a hold would be a great one to, to set up and try. Um, some of the other things that that he touched on, um, both in the, in the video and in the... Um, in the book are, you know, like the, some of the, um, uh, GPS related, uh, topics, uh, the G 1000 information, you know, was super, super helpful on the, on the website. Um, 
and uh, there's just a lot of good information. Um, the uh, idea of the protected side and the non-protected side that you kind of <laughs> hinted at there in the um, uh, you know in in the interview, and why I really don't have to care too much about that was was a great topic to be maybe just reminded of or, or explained if I if I hadn't heard it correctly in the past. So super helpful uh, set of videos uh, as well as you know his website and his book and so forth. I I think I mentioned on the last. Uh, a podcast that, based on your recommendation, I I hopped on Amazon and bought the book, um, and now I have it in my hands here. I'm about halfway through it, and I can say the book is, uh, you know, just as good as as uh, the other materials as well. Holding patterns is is really important. I know that we all shy away from them, but this is something that I hope everybody will go out and do after this podcast is go out and try some holds. I think Larry, you know, you're someone who goes goes into a simulator and you actually practice quite a bit. But but I, I find that students uh, are fearful of them. But you know, I've always said to my students, listen, don't worry about it. You have to make sure you do it right on the check ride. Obviously, if you're flying for 121, you have to do it right. But there's always a get out of jail free, turn to the outbound heading, and uh, and you'll actually be in protected airspace. Uh, but uh, I'd like to hear from our other instructors here. Uh, Eric, what did you think of the video? Well, I mean, I love it. I love the way Chris explains things. So um, every good instructor will will tell you the how, right? But but Chris talks a lot about the why, and I think that's really important, especially for somebody like me. I, don't, I won't just learn something because you tell me I'm supposed to. you got to tell me why. <laughs> like you got to tell me why I need to know this. And Chris is very good about not just telling you the what and the how, but also giving you the why and connecting the dots. But like you said, the importance of holding patterns, it's not just when you see assigns you one, but like Larry said, sometimes you need to ask for one. I had a student, we were doing an evaluation instrument check um, a few weeks ago in a simulator, and I had tasked him. The, the idea was to create kind of a task overload situation to see what would happen, and the student beautifully just says, you know, he requests a hold. I'm like, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. But I think, you know, we go through our instrument training, and it's, it's a lot of focus on, one, this is what the FA is going to ask you on the knowledge test. Two, um, this is how you do a hold associated with an instrument approach. Two, this is what happens if ATC dumps one on you out in the middle of nowhere, so that you can pass your practical test. And I think if, if we approach it that way, we're actually doing a disservice to our instrument rating students because we really ought to be teaching holding as, as, a, as a get out of jail free card for mm -hmm. pilots. When you are task saturated and you're in that zone, your first thought should be, hey, let's just slow this down. Let me fly around in a circle until I can figure out what I'm doing, right? And so asking for that hold um, and then just having these basic you know, uh, mental shortcuts about how to stay in the hold frees up your mind to deal with the task saturation elements that you're in there for in the first place. So I, I love the explanation with the why, but also the um, the motivation for people to not only be comfortable with holds, but to request them, to want them, to see them as a way to really free up your abilities when you're in the instrument system. And I think that's critically important. Yeah, I think, and and it's incredible how, from an airline pilot perspective, we look at holding so much differently than somebody who's, uh, you know, a private pilot flying, thinking, "Oh my gosh," and I don't ever want to get a holding pattern. But, uh, but you know what? It's it's really important to know how to do these, and also ask people, "Hey, listen, I want to hold, and I want to, you know, I want to be somebody that's that's out there and very very comfortable with the holding patterns because it's something uh, when you first. Uh, the first time you get out there and you do a hold, you get a little bit scared. And then after that, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get a hold. Hey, just ask for holding. 
what do you mean ask for a holding? I remember the first time I got to the airlines, I was like, oh, okay, you know, and, and I had to think about it. I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. So it's it's a good thing. I, I like that analogy. And I know uh, uh, from uh, Tom, you've you've been doing a lot of instrument, you know, practice now. And i just wondering if, you know, what your feelings have been as far as the holding patterns and the students you've been working with. Um, actually, I'm not allowed to work with students yet. I'm about to take my double eye. Um, I've been, but I have been practicing for it and and getting to fly lots of holding patterns. So, and and a lot of what um, you know, Chris has talked about through his seminars and 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 through your interview and uh, the videos presented, it, it's it's all solid stuff and and really helpful. Like uh, I I can't disagree with what Eric was saying. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, not only the whys but the hows and and you know why we're why we're doing this you know and uh what some of the dangers are and and what are some of the perceived dangers that are not really dangerous right you know uh, about that non-protected side so good stuff yeah i thought it was great stuff it's actually the type of video it's it's not a lot of there's no like quite video in it. it's more of a the webinar uh, that we've done the seminar that we've done and uh, it's it's put out there more from a, a webinar perspective, but it's very clear and it's something I think that everybody can learn from. So I really I, I re- highly recommend it. it. To find it, it's at expertaviator.com/holding. You can also find it here on the Stuck Mike Avcast and a link to that. Really cool story he had, and that was an awesome interview. I was just wondering from the from uh, Victoria, uh, you know what what you felt about his whole story and and uh, and the holding patterns and and if you know what you felt about the video in general and uh, and getting an introduction i think holding patterns are something that a lot of people don't regularly do mm-hmm. so it's really interesting um there was a lot of storms that came through here the other day really big storms and you know how you see on the the radar um there's like videos that have on flight radar 24 and stuff like that where you can see where all the planes are doing holds and getting snuck in. And it's kind of something that I don't think um, private pilots think about a lot, right? but can be very useful because it's, it's something you do, um, you know, um, on sun and fun. I remember we had to do holding patterns and sun and fun when flying in. So it's something that even private pilots should take a look at a little bit more. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just got me thinking about, you know, how u- unique and um, important a holding pattern is, uh, especially in the fact if there's storms or you're holding on, you know, the side of some dangerous ch- terrain like a mountain or something. So, um, you know, that's what, you know, when, when you write a whole book about holding patterns, at first I was like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? But you could go on forever. Yes. That's for sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that you said that because at first you think, how, how could you actually do a book on holding patterns? But there is so much in there and there's so much. It's just like anything, doing a descent vias, doing any type of a and, – and anything in aviation. You can get to some minutia and you'll always learn something uh, from, from whatever seminar you take. So I really highly recommend people going out there because there's so many cool things out there. To I've told towards. Chris several times, you know, I wish that I knew that that book existed when I was doing my instrument training because holding was the thing that crippled me. Um, I could do an approach with my eyes shut upside down, but holding, I just could not get it. Um, I have no idea how many times I repeated holding lessons. Yeah, no. um, and, and to be honest with you, when I took my instrument practical test, like my great fear was if I fail this thing, it's going to be in a hold because that, that was my Achilles heel. And it's funny because there's like, like everything else in aviation that you, you know, those learning plateaus that you have that are normal that everybody deals with. 
holding was that thing for me until the day I got it. And then you got it and the light comes on. You're like, oh, well, that's totally simple. Um, and uh, again, I think that really goes back to Chris's presentation style, whether you're dealing with, you know, the, you know, oral presentation or even the way that he writes as well. Um, it's very approachable. And um, that would have been a huge help to me for sure when when I was doing my instrument training. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people get challenged with holding patterns, you know, having taught them so often. And uh, but once you get it, like you said, you get it. You know, it's uh, it really is. It's not that bad once you figure it out, but but you think it's this hurdle you can't get over. But once you get over it, it it's it's awesome, Rick. You know, from from listening to this interview, Rick. I mean, was you know what 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 was your interest? I know you're not an instrument pilot, and and what did you glean from this this interview? Yeah, I, it just reminded me that there's so much there to learn, even if I'm not in a position right now to fly a lot. Um, what I loved about being in the process of actively training was just soaking up information because there was so much of it. And I've done that in a number of things in my life where I've wanted to learn something from coding to, you know, to, well, you know, guitar or whatever, whatever it is. And flying was one of those things. And I haven't done it in a while, but listening to that interview reminded me that there's so much out there that to, to be learned even just so that it's in your head, just so that the concepts are there. And it's really exciting stuff. So I'm going to definitely listen to it and watch the videos. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, gosh, you know, that that was, uh, it's something that I think, I hope everybody, and I think everybody will will find some interest in and maybe move forward in their instrument training or, or just in general in aviation. I think it's kind of cool just to learn about the technical side of things, no matter what it is in aviation and, uh, and you know, pick things apart. And that's kind of like why we're here. We're a bunch of air, airplane geeks and, uh, and it's really exciting to to hear from people like like Chris Pazala. The After Landing Checklist. Well, guys, you know, we went a little bit long this evening because we did have that long interview with Chris Pazala, but, you know, I, I really appreciate everybody coming here and uh, and commenting on that and coming on the interview. I know we do have uh, Air Venture coming up. We have some exciting things moving forward. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited about some of the other episodes and answering some of your questions, the listeners' questions. Uh, by the way, if you do have any questions, go down to contact at stuckmikeavcast.com or just go on to stuckmikeavcast.com. Ask a question, uh, make a comment on one of our blog posts, go to the Facebook page, ask somebody directly, uh, one of our co-hosts here, because we have been getting a lot more email lately, and we've been getting a lot more questions, and I know that some people have been asking me, uh, when are you going to do a question and answer session uh, on this podcast? And I was like, well you know what? We need to do that. So hopefully maybe on the next one or the one after that, we'll do that. We have a couple of really cool interviews coming up with some people that are very inspirational in aviation. And, uh, and also we're going to keep on track with, with talking more about flying skills and also having fun flying. And uh, really appreciate everybody listening today. And uh, you know, from myself, from Larry Overstreet, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Victoria Newville and Tom Frick, safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode. And have fun out there. Learn about holding patterns. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.